Hey gang, welcome to episode 139 of the No Persinium podcast, the voice of everything immersive. I'm your host, Noah Nelson, coming to you from No Pro headquarters in Los Angeles, which, if you don't know, is my kitchen table. Um, this week on the show, something pretty special. Uh, we've been trying to get this one on the books for a while, and our schedules keep on not working. Justin Denton of Here Be Dragons is here today. Uh, Justin, uh, Justin's work you have inevitably heard of. He was the director of the Legion FX activation that was at Comic-Con last year, also showed up at the Future of Storytelling Festival. Um, he's part of the core team there at Here Be Dragons, uh, which once upon a time was called Verseworks. Uh, so they've been, they've been making the VR stuff uh, since the beginning, um, what you're going to get today in Justin's, uh, interview is, is an overview of his career, which is sort of the vector of how one goes from, uh, special effects into VR, into the hybrid of live performance and alternate reality, virtual reality, mixed reality, if you will. Reality is just, reality is, a it's a fungible thing. Let's just admit that right now. There are many paradigms. No, wait, oh, wrong podcast. Um, we're not going to get cosmic for you yet, but we are going to talk about, um, I was about to like make a transition that would make sense. Justin's from Texas. So I was about to talk about something, something else involving Texas, South by Southwest. See, that's what it would have been if I had set it up properly. Instead, I'm giving you the skeleton of a segue. Right now, even as I speak, the FOMO is great with me because we have a team at South by Southwest. It is headed up by Kara Mandel, uh, who has recruited Amanda Shuckman and their friend Rachel Walker to to be our, our aces in the holes in all of the poker that's going down at Sweetwater. Um, what am I talking about? What's Sweetwater? Isn't that from Westworld? Yes. Yes, it's from Westworld. And if you really want to know what I'm talking about. You need to go on to the NoPro Instagram account, which is no underscore proscenium, and and see the sheer madness, the sheer madness that is the Westworld activation this year at South by Southwest. They built Sweetwater, which is the town you you get into when you get off the train in Westworld. They just they just up and built it there in Austin. Um, because there's no lengths that HBO won't go to to try and get you to watch a show that everybody likes to watch, <laughs> which is the funniest part, right? Like, but it's also the best part. Um, I was watching the Instagram last night. It is incredible. It is ab- it is insane. It is incredible. They just they really went the extra mile. Um, they, it's almost like it's been building up to this. Like every Every convention season, uh, HBO you know does something new to promote Westworld, and they just they just blow it out of the water each time. Um, this one looks truly fantastic, and maybe the best part is is if Instagram's not enough for you, Kara's going to have a video for us 
uh, very, very soon, possibly even um, today. You may be able to check that out today. I may get a text in any minute during uh, this recording that's like, oh, it's ready to go. Uh, so by the time you listen to this, you may have already seen the video. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to checking that out. They're going to be there all this week checking out all the immersive interactive stuff. They they hit up the Ready Player One VR arcade last night. So there's also stuff on the Instagram about that. Uh, they're, they're bouncing around in the VR arcades. They're checking out the Meow Wolf movie. Um, Kara's going to be doing the video interviews. And Amanda's going to be writing up some stuff for us. And Rachel was doing an amazing uh, job being roped into doing the Instagram last night. So thank all three of you. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, congratulations on uh, getting to do something really, really, really amazing uh, over at uh, Sweetwater last night. All right. Now, got a little housekeeping business to do. As regular listeners of the show know, we are in the middle of a campaign. It is called No Pro Goes Pro. Uh, let me point out. Uh, let me point out something else we did for you this week uh, that's brand new. We launched the North America newsletter. This is the new weekly newsletter that is covering everywhere in the continental United States. Not even the continental. We put Hawaii in there. What am I saying? Canada and Mexico as well. Broken up by time zones because we got to organize this information somehow. It took me a while to figure that one out. I know. I'm stupid. Um, and not that we needed to organize, but like how to do it. Time zones. Duh. Um, this one, uh, this one went out to all our friends. Um, one thing I love is MailChimp. Oh boy. Um, we sent out the first issue and we had a link in there telling everyone, you know, please update your preferences. Of course that link was broken because of course MailChimp is, is weird. So then, I mean, I was just like, I was just trying to do what they were doing and it didn't work. And then we, uh, we put another one out the next day, which was intended to be targeted at just the people who were getting, um, well, not just, let me put it this way. Um, just the folks who hadn't signed up for the North America uh, newsletter and who had, who didn't just get New York and LA. So of course that failed too and went out to everybody except the people who were getting the North American newsletter. So um, apologies for, um, my interpretations of MailChimp's rules, which I think if you were sitting there in my shoes and, and selecting things from the drop-down menus, you would have made the exact same choice as I did, uh, trying to make this work. I think I, I think afterwards I figured out, oh, they wanted me to say not, not, not. Anyway, look, man, Boolean logic is supposed to work. Let's not get into that. Um, the point is... Almost all of you received something from us this week if you're on the newsletter signups. Um, and the beautiful thing is that we had we, we have gotten more s subscribers this week than we had people unsubscribe. And at this point, I'm not sweating it when people unsubscribe simply because this thing causes money. Uh, it, MailChimp is not cheap, which is also why it's frustrating when it doesn't work right. Um that's my frustrations. The point of this is supposed to be about what are you getting for the North American newsletter? Um, we're taking all the listings we get each week and we're putting them in there unless they're New York or L.A. Why? Because New York and L.A. go into the New York and L.A. newsletters and it's aiming to come out every Tuesday. 
and it'll have a nice little editorial slash talk about, you know, what's been on the site for the week. So it is kind of a more normal newsletter because it's weekly. Um, and when something's really, really cool in L.A. or New York and it isn't an L.A. or New York week, we will, in fact, also probably like announce that there, put in a little spotlight section. Um, truth be told, if you're into passive media, if you don't like checking a website every day, which, you know, if you want to, that's nopersinium.com, uh, this is a great way to sort of keep up with what's going on, right? So the things the things for, you know, everything immersive this week, which we put on the website, and then this are are sort of the, the beginning and the end of the week sort of ways to check out what is up with uh, all things immersive. And it will be uh, going forward for all time in perpetuity. Or, or, or until they stop me from, from doing it. They being, well, let's not talk about they. There is something else going on, which is that Patreon campaign, uh, that No Pro Goes Pro, which of which the North American newsletter is a product, as is our South by Southwest coverage, uh, as is all of the amazing stuff that's happening right now. But here's what we are asking for you, of you. We're looking to double the number of people this month who are backing the Patreon. This past week, it was all about getting new followers on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter, and you're doing it, which thank you so much for that. Um, and and keep setting the word out there. This, this, this is a very simple program. You get more people in the door. Those people are in for a while. They're checking it out. They're like, oh, this is pretty cool. Then we say, hey, if you think this is cool, it's probably worth a buck a month. And that's where we are right now. Now, starting next week, we're going to have a, a new campaign video, which I've been putting off for about two years now. Uh, I've sort of been reluctant to part with that video in part because it was uh, shot in my old kitchen and um, there are times where I really miss it. Um, there, we're, um, oh, hi, neighbors honking. Uh, we're, yes, literally my kitchen table. I'm telling you the truth. Um, this week, what we ask of you is something very simple. We want your money. If you are a regular listener of the show, and I know there are more listeners of the show than there are Patreon backers. If you are, if you use the newsletter, if you use the website all the time, we need your financial support. Um, no pro will not survive another year if we do not take this pro. And given today's media environment, the only way to guarantee a successful media venture is to have direct support of the people who rely on it. I'm only asking for a dollar a month for everyone. Now, later in the month, we'll ask for more. Uh, right now, though, a dollar a month. And when I say last for more, we'll get to the $5 thing later. We'll do that pitch. But right now, this is, this is the critical. This is the super critical. Because if we can up the number of paid backers from 132 to 264, and we're already up to 139, uh, so we had a nice little, a little, a little bump, just a little bump this week, and we weren't even trying. What I'd love to see is by the end of this week, we take that 139 and we get it to 160, which would be the biggest week we ever had of people coming on at the one dollar level. You can make that difference. All right. Oh, we became PBS right there. Uh, but it's true. You can make the difference. And the more people we have as backers, the the easier it is to make the case out there in the world that this is something worth supporting. All right. So 
That's the goal for this week. If you haven't, if you know friends, uh, who are regulars, uh, and they're not backing yet, give them a little nudge. If you're a, a, a big fan of the show, uh, you know, crow about it. Uh, it really helps to have people share what we're doing, talk about it on social media, just help get the word out there. The world is set up against all of us when it comes to having our voices heard. And no matter how big of a platform an independent has, it is infinitesimally small compared to the dynasties that Facebook and Google control. And those dynasties are controlled through algorithms and those algorithms do not want us to be heard. So please, we need your help to do this. The people who have helped in this past week, who are all amazing, let's rock that list. Kellyanne Glaubig, Crystal Zilla, Tonks, Nick Murphy, the folks at JFI Productions, thank you, Justin, Lou, Ian Momi, Jessica Going, and the FXPS Tech blog all jumped in this week to help little no proscenium go professional. So help no pro go pro by going to patreon.com slash no proscenium. Our sustaining backers, of course, are Ross Sigworth, Bradley Smith, Jan Budman, Lonnie Hanson, Arthur Tubman, and Ari Herstand. Thank you all so much for joining us on the, the crusade. I am a dark knight. Um, this has gone really long. Uh, you've probably zonked out. Let's talk about Justin Denton. I adore this dude. Uh, if I was drinking right now, I'm on a diet. Uh, if I was drinking right now, this would have been an after dark because Justin brought us bullet bourbon. Uh, so Justin was drinking. I was not. Uh, this is one of those gloriously like, you know, the spine of this is Justin's career. Um, we start you'll hear the structure of this thing as we go. We kind of, we, 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 we don't jump around so much as that sort of, we start with a big thing and we kind of flash back and then we spend the rest of the episode getting back to the moment. And indeed this episode is, is shorter than I would have liked it to have been. Uh, I, I had to run off and go to a show. I had to go uh, catch the strangers experience, uh, which was, which was fun. Um, and, uh, so we only had about like an hour, hour and 10 minutes to really, to really talk. Um, so we'll do this again sometime because we sort of only like came up to the present and I feel like Justin and I, uh, could talk about the future a lot. And there's, there's a moment in here and I will not spoil it. There's a moment in here where we zero in on something. So it's one of those conversations where you're sort of, fen- you know, there's faints, you're kind of going around, you're finding things, you're working things out, you're, you're bouncing off each other. And then at one moment you kind of come to the heart of it all. I love this conversation. I hope you do too. Justin, I am super jealous because you've got some <laughs> bourbon. You were very nice to bring over bourbon. I'm not drinking this month because I'm on a diet. Uh, and I'm like, whoa, there's a bottle of bur- <laughs> bourbon right here. And now I'm drinking my gift to you. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the way hospitality works, after all. No, um... Um, we, we got to talking, uh, we got to talking because of our mutual friend Haley, yeah. uh, who worked with you on a project that I think a few people who listened to the show got a chance to see at Comic-Con last year, which was the Legion FX, uh, promotion using the, the HoloLens. Yeah. So maybe for the folks who didn't, uh, catch that, 
what was that jazz all about? <laughs> sure. So um, the project itself was called Legion Sessions. So it was a um, immersive theater meets augmented slash mixed reality activation at Comic-Con. Um, FX came to us and, and kind of wanted to do something with AR, but they weren't quite sure what they wanted to do. And so we kind of looked at the tech that was out there. I had already been playing with a HoloLens, but hadn't actually done a project with it yet. And so um, kind of looking at what that tech was, and it started to come up with ideas for what kind of a project we might want to do with it. And ultimately, the piece that was shown there is, is the end result of that. And what's sort of fun is like you were just showing me a BTS video on it, and there's like super recognizable faces <laughs> from like the LA immersive theater scene. Like there yeah. were people in there like who were in and the drum and from the speakeasy society, like more than one yep. uh, person from there. And then of course, like Haley was, was involved in it and she had been in like, then she fell and like punch trunk worked with you guys. Correct. Right? Yeah. So, um, obviously a, a lot of usual suspects were, yeah. were a part of the crew on that, um, or but the like, cast on that, I should say, but, but like a, but a bi-coastal international Yes. You know, like a convergence. Yeah, I actually did two casting sessions for it. I did one in New York and one in L.A. Mm. Um, and so um, we did officially work with Punch Drunk International on it as well. Um, so I had actually come up with the original idea for the story. And um, I should probably state that um, I'm part of the executive team at Here Be Dragons. We're an immersive company, mostly known for our virtual reality work. But we do some AR stuff and some other things. Um, and... We have a great relationship with Felix Barrett and Punch Drunk. They're actually on our roster. And so we already had a really nice connection with them. So I had already kind of had an initial version of the story. And um, not having done immersive theater before myself, um, was, was told, hey, come out to New York. Meet with them. Just see if it feels like a, you know, a, good, a good fit to, to work with them. And so I went out and got to workshop my script for two days with um, Hector Harkness. Um, and Elizabeth Romanski from Punch Drunk. And so doing that, learned a ton, because um, as you know, this was my first immersive theater uh, project that I had worked on. And so already a fan of the medium, but hadn't really you know, dug in and actually tried to create anything in it. And so um, getting to work with them was obviously extremely eye-opening and just a ton of fun. And so after working with them, I actually came back to L.A., reworked the script some, and then started my casting sessions. Speaking of the casting sessions, this is something that came up uh, a couple of weeks ago, was about how you, how you initially approached it to what you, how you wound up you know, finding out how to cast a thing like this. Because let's get a little bit first into your background, right? Yeah. So you're, you're a filmmaker. You're an FX guy. Like right. how did, how, how, what was your arc that led you to working in immersive VR, which then led you to, which then led you this, this live and this hybrid stuff? And, and then we'll get to that. Kind of thing, <laughs> sure, right? sure. Yeah. Um, so kind of backing up a little bit here, um, I got my start in visual effects for feature films. So um, I, I started working on, on a, a little-known Disney film called The Wild back in 2002 um, and spent two years working on a single film as my very first project ever in the industry. And what was great about that is I got to see the full process. I started before um, the script was complete and got to go all the way through the end of the editorial process on my very first film. Oh, wow, nice. Uh, which I think is kind of rare, actually, yeah. unless you are just a filmmaker. And right. at the time, I wasn't. So that was something that just kind of blew my mind and was this amazing 
slash frustrating <laughs> experience. Um, and it, it became really clear to me d- throughout that process that I wanted to work on live action. Mm. So um, I loved doing the animated work, but I really realized that I, I value human interaction, live human interaction a little bit more. Mm. And so once I finished that project, I came back to Los Angeles because I had kind of lived in three cities on the one project in two countries. Um, and then owed a bunch of extra taxes that I didn't know oh, about. Yeah. But <laughs> so, we'll well, when you're 22, right you don't really realize what's going to happen to you with international tax law. But I won't get into that story. No, That's no. a podcast unto itself. <laughs> um, but uh, when I came back to Los Angeles, um, I realized how much I loved like the VFX part of things. And so I started playing around with visual effects, worked at a few different shops, and started doing character animation and pre-visualization. When I found pre-visualization is kind of when things just popped for me. and went, holy crap, I can tell a story really quickly using a computer, but it's not for the visual effects themselves. It's for specifically how you would tell that story. Right. Um, and that was where I realized this kind of rapid prototyping way of, of figuring out how to tell a story was my process. And so I really latched onto that. And I still use that process to this day for nearly everything that I do. Um, so from there, I started getting more into um, doing motion capture, started writing my own short films, and knowing what I knew about tech, most of my short films, I completely avoided all visual effects and tried to do just like straight live action and then started getting crazy and adding my visual effects background back into my projects and things like that. So um, I started VFX souping on some feature films and um, really kind of exploded into having a full knowledge of of that workflow and that pipeline. And um, what's funny is when you do that and you hit a point where you, you start feeling like you're hitting your stride, what do you do? You throw a grenade in it and you decide, I'm going to do something else entirely, <laughs> which is basically what happened. So I, I walked away from feature films after working on them for quite a while and ended up working with um, a man named Richard Taylor, who uh, was the VFX soup for the original Tron. Mm. So I ended up working under him um, on dome projects. So he had called me up while I was in the middle of working on some VFX stuff for a feature and said, come take a look at what I'm doing in these domes. And so I went and got to watch some stereo dome content and it blew my mind. Like it was just one of those things of like, this is different. And I just had so much fun just on the one day of visiting that I was like, yeah, I want to come work with you. So I spent the next two years working with him in in dome projects. But while we were doing that, this is pre VR days. Mm. Um, we, um, we ended up, or I should say pre the proliferation of VR days. Right. Right. Um, we ended up getting our hands on an early prototype for the Rift. And um, I started prevising what it would be like to be in these domes in VR and realized I was having more fun doing them in VR than I was on the domes themselves. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. <laughs> From, <laughs> it, uh, as someone who did their first... I mean, I, I, you know, I, I, what did I, I, when Disneyland had dome, like films, like 360 dome films when I was a kid, I, I saw like one of those, but it had been a very long time since I stepped into a dome. And the first time I stepped into a dome in Los Angeles was, I think, 
six months to a year after the first time I had the rift on. Okay. And so I was just like, oh, I'd rather have this on my face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, there, there's a, a real value to domes. Yeah. Um, but I don't think that there that, that value is always utilized. And, and to me, that value is that it's inherently a social experience. Mm. You know, I could be next to you looking at something, pointing at it with you and calling it out. And then there's ways to make that interactive now right. with game engines and things like that. Um, whereas in VR, it's immediately localized you know you are it's a solo experience by its nature now there are ways to make it social so there are ways to go either direction with either one of them it's kind of funny it's like i i practically don't want vr to be social at all but just imagining a a dome and maybe even like an ar enhanced dome as a social experience that sounds really nice yeah right that sounds like a way to go yeah Um, because because there's just something we'll get into this later there's something about like the, the physicality of human interaction and and there's something about when the way they're showing VR social these days it's a lot of avatars in space and I'm just like I'm not I'm not interested I'm not interested in reaching out and not being able to touch someone yeah and I know we're gonna come back to that later absolutely yeah um, before I move on to the rest of that journey you just hit on something I find really interesting talk, especially talking about AR inside of a dome and things like that um, there was a really great experience from Kenzo digital um, that he did it at the Samsung 837 space which was this hallway that you would walk through that was all screens Mm. like an arch of screens that you walked through and um what you did before you went in is you gave it your social media information (laughs) and so you walked through and you were confronted by your own social media feeds as you walked through this It was pretty fascinating, yeah. and it was extremely well done. Kenzo is amazing, um, does really cool artwork. He's like an, a digital artist and just does really, really cool stuff. But that was kind of starting to hit on some of the things that, like, what you're talking about, and I thought that was really amazing. Yeah. It was a personalization to a point that, like, you're confronted with yourself, um, for better or for, for worse. For better or for worse. Like, yeah. the, the version of yourself that you've constructed for everyone else to consume. <laughs> exactly. Know? Like, yeah, like... Did it have mirror in its name by any chance? Was it something like that? Because it feels like it did not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's, something, there's something to that. I'm, yeah. I'm just guessing here. So, um, all right. So, so yeah. So uh, you know, I, I I was kind of realizing that I wanted to do these things in VR, and so um, I kind of talked to them about doing more VR work, and they were more interested in staying in the dome space. And so I actually went and formed my own VR division at another company. Mm. And uh, doing that was amazing. I ended up uh, working on this project um, called The Art of Patron that was, it was a marketing piece, but what it was, and this was earlier days in in VR, so it's probably show its age a little bit right Mm. now, but um, it was a... Uh, drone-based VR experience where you went through the process of making tequila from the perspective of a bee. And we we flew down to Jalisco, Mexico, got to go to the Patron Distillery, which there are stories about that that are <laughs> something else entirely, may or may not involve high-speed camera footage of people slapping each other. Um, but we, I, I feel, I'm extremely proud of that piece. Like It was extremely aggressive for when we made it. We were flying drones indoors, doing mm. amazing shots. Um, and this is, this was, that would have been relatively early drone days. It's not like we're now... Now you can walk into the Apple store and get like a camera equipped drone that's like the size of a transformer 
uh, that has a HD, you know, 4K capable cam on it. Right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. we're talking, we shot it three and a half, four years ago. Yeah. So, you know, which is funny, that doesn't sound that long ago, but in drone time, it's kind of like VR time. It's oh, a very yeah. long time ago. So, yeah, it, this was all custom uh, custom drone, custom built drone from the ground up. Yeah, yeah. Um, custom rig for the camera. Um, we did this crazy, like, two and a half foot arm that it hung from the bottom of the drone. How? I'm sorry, hung from the yeah, hung from the bottom. We're still sidebar here, but this is this is the way you, you've heard the show. Um, <laughs> how has this acceleration of the technology affected you as a storyteller and craftsperson? Right, like is it yeah. you know does it take away some of the fun challenges? Is it freeing you up? Are you are you are you finding your ability to like get into deeper, deeper emotional parts of the work because you're not worried about oh, well, if we want to do this thing, we got to build our own drone. Yeah, like what's how is that changing your process here? Uh, well, the process has to be reinvented, you mm. know, and and so I think that's one of the fun parts about it is that. Um, I guess maybe that's my answer is that for me, there is no frustration with that. For yeah. me, I think that's why I walked away from, you know, I threw that grenade in my visual effects career on feature films is that it was a, a wash, rinse, repeat kind of a thing. Yeah. And with this, literally everything is a challenge, you know, like there, there's just no set way to do it. And I personally love that. Like for me, that's that's what keeps it fresh, what keeps it exciting. It's what keeps me wanting to go back to work every day. And so, you know, I think we're going to lead into some of those things with this because of exactly that. But for me, I'm constantly pushing that boundary. And I think once we get back to the Legion project, that's going to talk about some of the ways I think we really pushed those boundaries. And I still haven't even seen anybody do anything quite like it since. So from domes to forming the VR division... Yep. Working on the Patron project, yes. the next thing. What's, yeah, so what? then I started directing VR projects. So um, I had had a I had a short film called Burlap that I that I directed, traditional short, mm. horror short. I ended up uh, getting into a number of festivals. Um, had yeah, a you, really you are fun a horror run. kid. You've got a Nightmare on Elm Street shirt on right now. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, we didn't talk about that, but yeah, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a major horror fan. Yeah, yeah. Um, grew up with it. My mother's favorite film is Salem's Lot. <laughs> um, you know, we I I watched films I probably shouldn't have seen at a far too young of an age, and I thank her for it every day. Yeah, so. I was watching Saturday Night Live when no one was painted, so that that formed me. <laughs> nice. Um, but I uh, I ended up directing uh, Beware Crimson Peak for Guillermo del Toro, mm. uh, or I should say for Legendary Pictures, but right. um, that was uh, for his film. And um, for me, that was just one of those things of realizing, oh shit, like I'm having a lot of fun here. Like yeah. I, I really, you know, and that's, it's a tiny little, it's a 90 second piece, you know, it utilized a lot of assets from the film, but it got to put you, you know, in the hallway with one of the ghosts crawling towards you, you know, that scene where you see the ghost come out of the ground in the hallway and it's coming at her and like it gets to be you instead, you know? And yeah. mind you now that feels a little bit thin at the time that was like, Oh my God, like this thing's coming at me. Did you speaking of that kind of action, the total, random um did you see the thing that was popping around last week of someone's i think it was with hollowlands or could have, or maybe it's a different ar thing because they had it on they're shooting it with a camera so who knows how they had it set up but it was like a the ring de- the ring thing yeah yeah we're Samara, yeah. like having Samara crawl out of television, chase you around, and it was yeah. cheesy graphics. But I was like, "But so what?" Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, Who cares if it's cheesy here, graphics, yeah, right? Here we go. Yeah and, yeah, and I think that's an area where I get to have fun because in in the visual effects land, like 
pixel fucking is the name of the game. Like you call out like the second you see something that you don't exactly believe in, you're like, oh, that's not real, you know? And and I was that person and it started to pull away from like my own enjoyment of the mediums that I worked in. Oh yeah. And now, like, mind you, I still want to make everything perfect, but I can appreciate that, you know, like because that's doing something I hadn't seen someone do. Exactly. And and, and that there's something to be said and I, I feel like a lot of times people say oh well it's just something novel like and now the word novel has almost become like a negative term <laughs> and I think that's insane <laughs> like you give me something novel I'm gonna you know I'm, yeah. I, I, I'm gonna be pretty happy with I, it I think that speaks to like cultural exhaustion because like yeah. I, I, I it made me think of Robert Anton Wilson and him riffing on novelty and, and neophiles and the people who are always looking for the new and how that was such the mantra in the early days of the internet and we live in such accelerated times that I think there is this this desire of like, can we just slow down? Yeah. But those of us who like have it in our DNA for the new, like, yeah. we can't help it. Like, we need to take a breather, but instantly yeah. it's like, oh, what's this new thing? Yeah, what's, right. What's this? <laughs> I gotta know what's next, you know? Absolutely, right. and I, I mean, you know, it's, I don't just want to know what's next. I want to make what's next, mm. you know. And and to me, that that's been a big motivator. Um, and and it's really funny you talking about that ring piece because. Unfortunately, I watch one of the shots from it and I'm calling bullshit. Yeah. And, and that makes it sucks because I don't want to say that. But her walking from around that corner, the chances that they had the occlusion right on that corner where she wasn't drawn and then she came around that corner, AR kit barely has any ability to do anything like that right yeah. now. And so I'm looking at it going, oh, that feels edited. And I hate myself for saying it, you know? Like, I'm looking at it like... But I think it's totally important because, like, you know, and maybe you've got a chance to play around magically if you can't say things. But, like, um, you know, looking at the initial, you know, is it Weta or Weta? Weta. Weta. The initial Weta workshop, you know, stuff uh, with Magic Leap... And and mm-hmm. and then finding everyone finding out like you know six months later like oh yeah that was just compositing that, that was compositing yeah. and like that was that was a demo and you instantly go into like oh so you're telling me that was the E3 reel for the video game and Madden's actually not going to look like that this yeah. year well it just feels disingenuous exactly. you know and we've been lied to enough right you know and you you kind of hit this point where that's a different type of exhaustion, but we're hitting that kind of exhaustion as well. We're, we're so used to getting lied to that we almost expect it. Yeah. And, and and that hurts, you know, like that's an area where people, because you become cynical and you can't trust, you can't, you can't dream anymore. Right. If everything's a lie. Right. Um, and maybe I guess that's why when somebody does do something, even if the, you know, the quality may not be exactly where, you know, people want it to be, but if it all actually happens in front of my eyes and I know it really happened, I have, you know, immense respect for that effort. You know, I can recognize the creative effort that went into it and and accept the limitations. Um, okay. So Crimson Peak. Yes. So, oh, go ahead. No, no. That's, that's okay. Um, yeah, so did that piece and then um, ended up uh, getting to know the awesome folks over at Here Be Dragons. And um, we were their main vendor whenever I was doing all of this stuff. And so I was doing all this crazy VFX work with them. I started um, tech directing for them. Um, so uh, just to clarify, technical director uh, on that, you basically partner up with the actual director and kind of talk to them about what they can and can't do and collectively 
collectively come together with the decision on on how to pull it off. Scotty so that, to the Kirk. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, very much. I was Scotty. Yes, yeah. I like that. I like that a lot. That that helps. I, I, I need. I've needed that on a lot of meetings. So. Oh, good, good. Um, and I'm more of a Trekkie fan, so I, I can yeah. appreciate that. Oh one. yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so uh, you know, between doing that and then kind of directing my own things, I talked about burlap for just a hair. Um, I ended up making a VR companion piece to that for my own um, short film, and that VR companion ended up making it into more festivals <laughs> than the main film did. And I ended up ultimately right. optioning it to Hulu. So Hulu had it um, as part of their Huluween just last year. Um, I didn't which, really realize they had something called Huluween. Yes, I, I'm simultaneously <laughs> embarrassed and proud of the fact that I had something with Hulu because it sounds so tweener, but like it's you know, it is what it is, you I, know. I, I I like Hulu. I I legitimately do. I was sad when certain networks pulled out. I was like, this is no good. Like, don't don't bifurcate. But yeah, who knows? It'll it'll all just be one thing in a couple of years anyway. So, um, um, but yeah, like that was a real like cool educational process and it's great to see hulu get into the game like that you yeah. know um I, I you know for me that's super encouraging for kind of where all this is going but um so i ended up uh doing those things and jumping over to to working with dragons full-time and now i'm one of their directors so i've been directing some projects for them um so since that i ended up uh directing a piece uh, for General Electric called Listening to the Universe. It's actually the only documentary I've ever directed, mm. um, which I co-directed with Ari Pallets. Thank God, because he's awesome at documentary work. And our, our powers combined, I was able to like do all the crazy VFX stuff. And um, So Listening to the Universe is a seven-minute uh, documentary piece about the LIGO Conservatory mm. and uh, their first detection of a merger of two black holes. And so I ended up creating all these insane visual effects shots of in VR of this merger event and kind of helping explain what that's like. And uh, it's just fun to play with scale in VR. So that was like a really cool way to, to do it, you know, play with immense scale. You know, we're 1.6 billion years, light years from the Earth and these two massive black holes are merging and yet their energy reached Earth. Like that's just fucking cool. Yeah. I don't care who you are. Yeah, no, um, it's, it's absurd and weird. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so so I did that piece, and then I ended up uh, directing uh, the um, Ghost in the Shell VR experience um, along with Joe Chen, and um, that was really satisfying. It's kind of funny. Like I know the film itself had its issues with whitewashing and whether or not the story worked, and you know how how, how it worked compared to to the original, which I'm a fan of. Um, but I really got to do something interesting with that, which was take the the tea room fight scene and reinvent it for 360. Mm. And so we ended up bringing on a stunt coordinator, feature film stunt coordinator, and we rehearsed for three days figuring out how to make a fight work all the way around you in 360 with, with live actors motion captured. So this is where... In the heart of what I want to talk to you about. This is the transition. Yeah, this is the transition, yeah. which is this idea of bringing live performance into... So there's two big things. Bringing live performance into 360 spaces, be it right. live action 360 spaces or mocap 360 spaces. And then beyond that, with what you do with Legion, the merger of the live and the digital. Yeah. So where does the approach start and let's start with like the 360 like how how different is it to 
be designing action for a 360 environment than for the the two the you know the the 2D big screen ability to cut around like having that yeah. cut control. I mean, it's a completely different game. You know, like there there's almost no comparison. Mm. You know, th- and that's where I think a, a large problem has come in with VR. Um, where there's been this attempt to make it feel like film and there's this, been this attempt to make it feel like theater and mind you amazing mediums but this is a new medium and it needs a new approach and I think that that's been one of the flaws of like well let's just bring all these rock stars in in their own mediums and we'll slap them together and you know two two great things are not going to get smashed together and taste awesome. You know, like it just doesn't work that way. It's happened like four times and three of those is peanut butter and chocolate. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, You know, but most of these are more like chocolate and bologna. You know, like it just like, it just like, it just doesn't quite work. And then the studio comes in and puts hot sauce on it and it's great. But, (laughs) but yeah, yeah. <laughs> that fixes everything, everything obviously oh, no yeah. but what what's interesting is that like we have to kind of drop that and, and you know this is a natural progression of the medium you know right. i'm not i'm not honestly i'm not bashing anyone i've been guilty of this right. like i'm learning this as i go well, as well and maybe the most frustrating thing about what's happened in the past few years is that you know the tech press wanted this, and, and I was guilty of this too. We wanted it to be the next iPhone. Right. We want literally to the point of like you know like the Gear VRs, like you shove a phone into the thing yeah. and then you make it happen. And like we, we you know, everyone's disappointed in the sales yeah. and, and all this sort of stuff because people bet the farm on right. this stuff cracking through, yeah. and like it wasn't actually ready for prime time. Right. And just and so, it's still not. Yeah. You know, I'll be honest. I I don't think it is. That being said, I'm not going to stop making this stuff. You know, yeah. I mean, I think that's what's required is for us to make it. Um, I think we're heading that direction for sure. I I am confident. You know, in, in these mediums, um, both uh, augmented reality, virtual reality, and and for me, where I'm headed as as a creator is the merger of these with with live entertainment. Um, but we, I think we had to realize that, you know, and, and a, a lot of times, you know, you get caught up in the hype and you expect something that we're just not capable of yet. You know, VR's been through this before. Yes. And, and I played be, Dactyl Nightmare yeah. in a bowling alley. There you, you go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, and I mean, it, it's, it's kind of one of those interesting things where we always expect the impossible. And, you know, because we've seen visual effects that have shown us that. Right. But that doesn't mean we've lived through them. Um, Come on, Lawnmower Man was like 1996. Yeah, like, it, it should be there by now. Yeah. yeah, well, I mean, look at the amazing, to this day, still holds up visual effects work in Jurassic Park. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, it's insane. And specifically it's in Jurassic Park. still better VFX than certain things that were Oscar nominated this year. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, that, yeah. that's what shows you, like, we, we, we have unrealistic expectations of what people are capable of um, and what the tech is capable of. But that being said, I think where all of this comes back to is story. And mm. we had to learn we needed to tell a different type of story because consumers and audiences have always been accepting of flaws in the tech or in the execution when you're completely sold on what's happening with the story. Right. 
Suspension. Because then you're in it. The game is suspension of disbelief. In yeah. Every medium. It's like like getting invested in a play or getting invested in a, 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 a silent film. It's all about that emotional connection. And and right. what's always interesting about any of this particular form of art, be it theater, film, dance, or you know VR, is the merger of the emotional human connection to whatever ideas are being you know considered right like that's that's the whole nine yards right yeah. there and once people- you have that honestly technically you can have flaws galore yeah um, not saying you shouldn't strive to not have them but there is a point where once you can do those things this is now your playground yeah and you can have a lot of fun in it and share it and other people will enjoy it and they probably won't even see a lot of the flaws you do um you know and 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 that's that's a fun place to be and and that's where i'm starting to find myself you Mm -hmm. know and that's what's really enjoyable so you know kind of going from from doing this amazing fight scene where i had to figure out like how do you make it play around me um you know often the first thought process goes oh well look at theater Mm -hmm. and no that doesn't work either because that the person behind me is not in the middle of the knife fight you know i can't turn around and look at the audience member behind me and 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 there's a flaw to that the area where theater does share a lot is that there isn't a cut and my perspective is singular you know we can transition time in interesting ways in theater and transition what's happening in front of you but you're you're in a fixed space from what's going on right and that's where there are more similarities with that but what happens a lot is that people go okay well that's that's the acting problem that's going on in 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 the vr space right now of okay well you know actors are very accustomed to squaring up to a camera in right. film and you know they may be doing something with their upper body that's completely different with their lower body <laughs> they're hyper aware of the close up the medium the wide yeah. and they're also hyper aware of their good side and that does not work in the vr space so god this is making me think of like neil stevenson had this book that he wrote with his um uncle that was a political book and uh, it was a political thriller, not a political book. Uh, the name of which escapes me right now, but he wrote it around the time he was writing Diamond Age and, and Snow Crash. Um, the name is going to totally escape me, but there was a line in it about how once the HD TVs, and this was pre, I'm not even talking 4K, I'm, I'm yeah. talking like you know, 1080, 720 even. He was like, once the HD TVs come, we're going to have a different type of politician because... Mm. They're gonna, they're gonna, it's like the transition from radio to normal television and then like television to color television. Like it affects the, the way those people look. It's like radio versus MTV. Yeah. Changes. Like what that did to musicians. Yeah. Well, what, but the way that people look affects the emotional relationship people have with them. Yeah. This idea of like, yeah, actors who know their good side. All right. Now you can't have, we're gonna have actors. The famous actors are no longer gonna have a good side and a bad side, right? It's never gonna yeah. be that anymore because we're gonna be three sixty on everybody. Yeah, I'm gonna choose what angle I look at you from, right? You know, and that's but where... more importantly, like 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 the it's not like someone can just have like a good side and that's their key to success anymore. <laughs> like they're gonna have to be talented or they're gonna have to right. just be one of those ethereal, incredible. So you're people. saying they're gonna have to be English. English or Australian. <laughs> I'm just thinking BBC. Let's you know, just think, let's, you know, let's just go with Australia. Yeah, yeah. Just been the safe side. Hey, I, I, I then, love that. Then they got the hot criminal blood and yeah. they're talented. So, yeah. yeah. 
Speaking of Australians, my current, I, I, I'm a huge fan of Hannah Monson from Glitch. Um, mm. Have you seen the show Glitch? No. no. Oh, okay, well, this is a total diatribe. I won't go totally <laughs> down it, but it's a, this really amazing show where seven people come back from the dead. Um, but they're all from different eras, and they come back. Netflix has options. Okay. okay. Um, but they all come back from the dead, but even though they're from different eras, they come out and they're in pristine condition. So they're not zombies by any means. Oh. Um, but they don't know why they have come back. And it's it's a really really crazy oh, show, man. but Hannah Monson's amazing. Okay, yeah, we'll talk um, more about that after. So yeah. <laughs> um, so what yeah. was so so it wasn't theater. What was the key? What what unlocked that action sequence for you? Um, it was honestly standing in the middle as the director, pretending I am the user. And no longer going from this whole, okay, then we're going to cut the scene and go to this. It was, this is where it does have similarities between both film and theater in the sense of you have to embrace the concept of the oneer to the mm. nth degree. Right. Because you have to pretend, even if you may end up having to find a way to cut somewhere in VR, that this is a oneer. Yeah. That everything is going to take place around me. And so... I kind of went back to the very, very original roots of animation and thought from the process of silhouettes. Everything needs to be a strong silhouette. Mm. Everything has to read from head to toe. And so that's where you get into good character design. That's where you get into strong form, posture, things like that, that that action reads at all moments in time. But the problem is with theater the concept is that reading from a distance. And right. so they make it too large. Right. So there's this interesting in-between where your film actor assumes that even though the camera is that far away, it has a 100 mil lens and it sees like a pore on your nose. And the theater actor thinking that the person in the 54th row can't see their hand up in the air. Right. Yeah, and, and it's really this interesting in-between of knowing when to be large, when to be small, and um, understanding that this camera is unforgiving to the point that they have to not care anymore. Yeah. 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 So, and that's a tough one for an actor. You know, thank God I'm not one. <laughs> so. No, it's serious. I mean, that's well, it's probably another reason why improv skills pay off so well in this in in this space, immersive yeah. as a whole. I agree. Is because you can, you know, it's like, oh yeah, whatever, you know, like yeah. You know, there's there's no perfection. There's only the next there's only the next take. As yeah, well. absolutely. So you unlocked that piece, yep. and then was was Legion the next thing, or um, I had a few projects in between that I worked on, but wasn't directing on. So I ended up um, technical directing on um, the Mr. Robot VR experience, oh, nice. which that one was a big part of helping understand what to do in heavy narrative VR. Mm. Um, it's it's highly respected in that sense um, uh, from from the outside. Not, yeah. I'm not saying that, you know, I'm not trying to toot, toot my horn or anything like that. Sam Esmail did an amazing job. He was involved intimately throughout the entire time um, from the point of writing the script all the way through. But one thing we did with that one, which I really think was great, was we over-prepared in a lot of ways. Like, mm. I went uh, to the set three months before we shot the real thing and showed up with a cheap VR camera instead of, you know, the full blown rig we would do. And we got to walk around Elliot's apartment. And, um, I spent two hours in Elliot's apartment just finding cool angles 
And, you know, people are always like, oh, well, and you don't have an angle in VR. Yeah, you do. You're like, you have the, the, the prime space that you expect people to look at it from. Exactly. And, you know, a good angle from that VR camera is not a good angle from a film camera, but it's still an angle. You know, it's a position, I guess, if, you know, yeah. if you want to get super techy with it. But <laughs> um, I still think of it as an angle. But... Um, well, because it's like, I mean, it's one of those things where, like, you, you give the participant, the observer, the audience, whatever, you can give them based on where you place the rig, uh, a wonderful angle, and it's up to them to decide whether or not to, to use it or not. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Well, and I mean, not to go too far back to the beginning of all of this, but one of the problems with the idea of having the ability to look around in 360 is people immediately assumed that that's in fact what you needed to do the whole time. Mm. And that was a flaw, you know? like. You and I are sitting here talking. We've got a microphone in front of us. That's my focus. Right. You know, like it's between your eyes and the microphone, like, and my drink. Yeah. Right? Let's not forget that. Yeah. But I'm not concerned about what's behind you. I don't even know what's in that scary hallway behind <laughs> me right now, you know, and, I, and I'm cool with that, you know, so, but yet I can turn and look at it if in case I hear a sound or right. something like that. You know, if something were to make me nervous, I can look around. Yeah. And it's the ability to do it that makes it immersive. It's mm. not, it's not that I'm using all of it as the creator. See, that's, that's a fantastic insight, whether you're doing, you know, digital or you're doing live. Right? Is that, yeah, our natural, if something, if something's engaging, we're going to stay focused with it. Right. And indeed, if someone, if someone's tracking off and like no longer paying attention to like the thing at hand, it probably means because you made something not compelling. Right. You know? Right. Like if, if they're looking around, and and you and there are times to use that on right. purpose oh, yeah. too. I mean that's that's what that's what good artists do. Right. You know, like they they get you trailing off, and then boom, something happens. You mm. know, whether whether it be horror, or comedy, or suspense, or drama, or whatever. Like that's that's always the technique, and that's where it gets interesting. Is that people have gotten so used to creating that timing in the edit room, whereas immersive theater can't do that. Theater can't do that. VR can't really do that. Maybe a little bit, yeah. just depending on what type of VR it is, um, you know. And that—that's a film tactic through yeah. and through. And unfortunately, people have gotten so used to that being how you tell a story that we're almost deprogramming a little bit from that. Yeah. So you hit Legion. Yes. And you you start to merge this digital and the live. Yeah. So. Um, and and you went through the process and you work with punch truck and everything and you get to the point where you need to cast. Yeah. Well, let me back up just a hair from that. Okay. And 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 say that it wasn't immediately obvious that it was going to be a live actor situation. Mm. Um, you know that wasn't part of their request by any means. What they said was that they would love for it to be augmented reality and looking at kind of what the capabilities were of the HoloLens and where we were with phone tech at that time. I mean, there was no AR kit. There was no iOS, you know, phones able to do AR at the time, which is crazy because I'm not even talking about a year ago. I know. Like, it's like, yeah. So, I mean, like, we're not talking the Stone Ages. Yeah, way back in 2017. Nine months Um, ago. (laughs) Uh, which is really crazy. Like, that's how fast all of this is moving. It's freaking you know? ridiculous yeah. is what it is. Yeah. Like, I mean, I I am, you know, gauging what's possible based on, like, release updates these days. <laughs> you know? Like, that's fucking stupid. But that's what that's the world I live in, you know? True. And, and it's kind of cool, actually. No, it's fantastic. Um, but, 
um, when when I got that, I was like, okay, let me take a look at what everybody's done out there. Mm-hmm. And so I looked, and by far the best thing that I could find in AR at the time was fragments. Mm-hmm. Um, have you done fragments before? I don't know if I have actually. It's 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 a Hololens game. Okay, I haven't. Um, I have. Oh I my god, I'm gonna murder you. Um, I just I haven't had a chance to play with a Hololens like every and every time I've been in a location where they've had one Hololens, there's yeah. been a line and I'll be like I'll, oh like I'll, I'll catch it at some point. Just I've, no one's ever stuck it. And I one of my friends who's at like USC these days, like he was on the team that was working on it before it was like public. Mm-hmm. And so and even then, I still haven't had it on the face. Okay, so. well come in and visit me at the office. Well, I will. You I have will. my word. I will let you Good. play with it. Um, that being said, so there's this piece called Fragments that's, um, I think it's called uh, Asobo Studios. I might be fucking it up. but um, Welcome to the show. Yeah, they, <laughs> they, they created this really amazing piece where you are a detective who has the ability to reconstruct crime scenes oh, you're in Batman front of you. From the Arkham Asylum games. It's cooler than that. Which I know is saying a lot. Well, because well, which is great because <laughs> um, like that's pretty cool. Like, yeah, if it's cooler than that. It, I think it's cooler than that personally. Yeah. Like it's just got a really great feel to it. It was also everyone has been on AR has been playing with this whole like tabletop mentality and not right. being um, uh, live size. Yeah, you know. Like, oh, and, we can put we can put. We can make Minecraft look like Legos on yeah. a tabletop. Yeah. Oh, we can so play Catan. Everything on a has tabletop. been this like tabletop scaled down thing. Yeah. Which, mind you, it's cool. Yeah. But it is honestly getting a little old for yeah. me. Um, this was in the face of that. You know, even mm. though the HoloLens does have some pretty severe limitations, it's got a very narrow field of view. Yeah. Um, which means that if I turn my head to the side, the digital character that would be in front of me would disappear. Right. And then I'd have to look back to see them again, which that's a little strange. Yeah. But um, the way they kind of played into it with this, where you're reconstructing a crime scene and every time you like go and find a clue, it builds a little bit more of the crime scene. Um, and then, you know, you get far enough and it kind of triggers what feels like a cinematic in front of you of, you know, something else happening. You marry that with the fact that, Let's say you're getting debriefed by your captain or something like that. I don't remember the exact titles of the characters. But if you had a chair and that chair was far enough from the table, it would actually recognize that and have that character walk over and sit in that chair. When that happened to me, my mind just went... And I was like, this is fucking awesome. Oh, my God. Um, Because that that starts to feel like you're hallucinating. Yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You definitely get into... That whole what's the difference between AR and MR, mm-hmm. you know, augmented reality, mixed reality. With this, that character is now interacting with a real object in the scene. Yeah. I'm buying it a whole lot more yeah. than if it's just sitting on a table, you yeah. know? And so that was kind of the one where I was like, this is freaking amazing, but I don't know how I make this kind of a thing work at something like Comic Con. Right. And so while I was looking at that, I was like, What's what works the least out of all of this? Even though that was a cool moment of that person sitting and stuff, I was like, the people, the people don't work as well. And my head immediately went to, let's marry this with immersive theater. Mm. So at that point, I was like, it was it was honestly a light switch. Like it hit, and I went, this needs to be an immersive theater experience that uses the Hololens, that uses augmented reality. 
This isn't a HoloLens experience. This is a live activation. And that was the turning point for me. So now, like, at that point, I go, okay, let me write this from the perspective of utilizing you slowly getting introduced into David Haller's world. So for those that don't know, David Haller's main character from Legion, um, he is doesn't know it yet. He's the son of Professor Xavier. Um, he thinks he's crazy, but in fact, he's... He's Got the world's it. most powerful mutant. I, exactly. He's a, he is, as any X-Men fan will tell you, an Omega-level mutant. Exactly. So, which means uh, he's a world killer, if necessary. Th- thank you yeah. for getting there. I wasn't going to go <laughs> quite that far, but I... Yeah. yeah On the radar yeah. scales, uh, <laughs> Legion is uh, as dangerous as Sir uh, Na. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, the, the really fascinating thing about... An Omega mutant who thinks he's got mental issues. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Well, I was avoiding it because I didn't know people would know. And I was like, now you've you've dorked me out, but that's okay. (laughs) I love it. Um, Whatever works, yeah. (laughs) He, um, he's, he's got this kind of amazing quality of feeling like you instead Mm. of feeling like an immensely powerful being. And that's just the immense, just smart writing of Noah Hawley. Yeah. Particularly on the show. I mean, Noah Hawley, uh, who unfortunately is the best of Noah's these days, jealous about that. We do have an internal competition. (laughs) We have our own internet. It explains everything. Um, uh, He's done such an amazing job taking between the style of that, the style of that show is so aggressive that it, it opens you up to the possibilities of something else, and just the emotionality uh, and the way he approaches this this blending. Because yeah. the the ultimate secret is is that David Holler is both both an omega level mutant, and he isn't all there, right? right. He does have serious mental issues at yeah. the same time. Yeah, well, and I think that's an interesting challenge for um, especially like a show to deal with because that's a sensitive hot button issue these yeah. days and my hat's off to them for tackling that you yeah. know like that that's not an easy thing to tackle and i feel and like they do with a high degree of sensitivity like for, i agree yeah i agree yeah it's not a uh it's not something they exploit it's no. actually something they explore yeah you know and, and to me that's that's a fascinating differentiation you know um but what i really wanted to do was as I was writing it, when I realized I was going to use live actors, it's like, okay, now I can have you realize who you are mm. throughout the experience. And I wanted to do this thing where I've been kind of playing with the, this is a, a bastardization of the hero's journey. I call it the user's journey. Hmm. And so, um, which you just talked about, um, not that I want to say you were bashing any uh, experience from the void because I think it's pretty awesome, but um, there's kind of this process of like falling into the world that you're going into. Right. It's like levels of immersion. Exactly. And I think that's something that we need to pay more attention to as creators, both the levels getting into it and the levels getting out of it. And that's something that I think, uh, and, and I haven't ever actually done it, but from the conversations I've had with people who have, and I know that you're more schooled in this, um, LARP is very careful about this in, in, in the way that you do, or can be. Uh, can be very careful. <laughs> I mean, I think, yeah, no. I mean, the reality, look, the, 
the theory of it is that it is. And there's some things, and there's there's mechanisms. Like yeah. what it is is it's had more time to fail. Yeah. In terms of its user base. Yeah. But, I mean, going, go, you know, the suspension of disbelief. Like the when a LARP is working, it's it's working at the level of the drama and the emotionality. Yeah. Purely at that level because it's full suspension of disbelief. Yeah. And so it's. LARP at its best is just make believe with world with 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 rules. Yeah. And it's it's completely happening in the social contract. That's what makes it work. It LARP is about the social contract that you've created with people. That's but, an interesting term. Yeah. But you've but you're but you're you, when you see someone who isn't and depending on the LARP scenario, it could be a con LARP, could be could be like a, a long-running game. Um, if someone's out of that social contract, if they're if they're colliding, the whole thing falls apart instantly. People instantly jump back into being themselves. Got it. And it's just this. It's it's like the clutch on the car fails. Got it. But when you have a circle of trust and you have a, a troop that knows each other really well, or you have a highly curated group for like a one-off, uh, people are really committed to doing it. Then the social contract part of it really leads to a depth of emotion. I feel like this and consent are the two main conversations <laughs> that you and I have. We tend uh, to, yeah, yeah. yeah, we do tend to. Yeah. Um, but for me, it was kind of one of those things. And thank you for clarifying all of that because I, I feel like I need to dive into that world a little bit more to understand some things. But um, what I wanted to do was have this like levels of you realizing that. I'm not just wearing a wristband that says David Holler. I am David Holler. Right. And so we did this whole thing where you go up to the line and then you get to the check-in. And instead of having just a normal person at check-in, I had an actor at check-in. And um, not, you know, other, other experiences have certainly done that as well. But I had some pretty great people up there and they did a really good job of um, getting you ready for mm. coming into the experience. And you're still outside, you're still on the on the lawn at Comic-Con and they put a patient wristband on you which you 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 don't necessarily look at or you do and you realize it says holler comma David and it says emergency contact holler comma Amy and so you get this little bit of like oh that's interesting and then um, the the person who's checking you in puts a large device up to your face, which is actually checking your IPD, which is um, checking the distance between your pupils. Mm -hmm. So um, they they put this medical device up to your face. And so now you're already undergoing a medical uh, procedure before you've even gone into the experience. So they do that. They write down the number on your wristband. And we had a spot for IPD on there. And so yeah. they write this down. And you're like, it, it, it made you feel... Like you were undergoing something and it was important. Right. And then she also would tell you, okay, um, we're going to conduct a GGV exam, which is gaze, gesture, and voice. And so mm. she kind of tells you about this. And really what that is is we rebranded a lot of the things that are in the – uh, like tutorials for how to use a HoloLens, but we <laughs> branded them to feel like they belonged in the world of Legion nice. and more, more specifically in the world of carry. And mm. for people that know the show, there are two carries. They are one. 
Yeah. And I'm not going to explain more than that. You got to watch the show if you want to know it. But uh, Carrie performs a lot of the examinations and medical things that happen um, to David. And so we felt that was a a nice tip of the hat and be something that made you feel like the center of the universe. Right. And I don't think that every immersive experience or VR experience or whatever needs to make you feel like you're at the center of the story. Right. But that's what I like to do as a creator. Yeah. Like I've learned that that's kind of my bag. Like I just really, really, really love making you the center of that world. And so then you go up on this ladder or sorry, not ladder, but uh, ramp, and you wait. And then you go in, and you go into this waiting area, which is a hallway with four doors at it where you undergo a brain scan. And that's where you go over to, one in front of one of these four doors, you get the HoloLens placed on you. So it's all of this has happened before you've ever had a HoloLens put on you. Yeah. And then finally you get the HoloLens put on you, and then you go into this room, and all these crazy mysteries happen that I can't say too much about. <laughs> So, one, tell us about the casting, yeah, that process, and figure out. Uh, let's start there, and then I got another, yeah. got another follow up about, about this particular one, and then we'll talk some more about the the, the merger. Yeah. Um, so we had a really great. You and I had a great conversation about casting. Yeah. Um, recently, and you know, being new to immersive theater, but having done casting for actors before. Um, you know, showed up to my first casting session, had camera put down, ready to go, come out, they read. Maybe the second person gets through and I'm like, this is not cutting it. Like, I, like this doesn't work for like how you should cast for, for what I'm doing. And so I threw the camera off to the side, still using it, but threw it off to the side, had a really great conversation with the, the talent right when they would walk in and also had the casting agency talk to the talent when they were in the waiting room mm. about how they were not performing to camera, they're performing to a person. Mm. And that threw a whole bunch of them off. Yeah. <laughs> but it was really, really, really useful. I mean, did um, any of them literally like start turning towards the camera when they were supposed to be looking oh, at you? Oh, for sure. Really? Yeah. Oh, oh wow. yeah, yeah, for like, sure. Like, like maybe thinking um, like, this has got to be a joke. Like they really want me to look at the camera and they want to test if I'm just an idiot. Yeah, like I mean, some... <laughs> I, I think that maybe they were being engaged a little bit on that. I tried to be really upfront, though. Like, yeah. you know, I don't, you know, people have different tactics with casting. And, right. and I'm not judging anyone because you're always trying to just figure out what you need. Yeah. Um, but this was me learning as a director instead of, you know, them learning. Yeah. And I didn't feel like that was necessary for, I, it was not a ploy, you know. And so I tried to be super clear about that, about, hey, you know, so you know this is a live situation. There is no camera in that room. So you're not performing for a camera right now. You're performing for me. I am the user. I'm not the director. I'm not judging you. I've got a casting director. They're judging you. <laughs> like, you know, I still wanted them to be nervous because yeah. I need to know if they can handle the nerves. Because right. this is, you know, Comic-Con's an interesting place. <laughs> a lot is. of interesting things happen. People are wearing all sorts of different things. People come in in character. They leave in character. Some people show up in San Diego in character and stay in character until they leave. If they ever exit character, That's I don't true. even know. Um <laughs> But and, and we got some of those at the show, by the way, um, which was fantastic. But did a Deadpool um, come through? Uh, no, Aww. I actually had the most amazing. This is a side story, but I'm gonna tell it anyway. <laughs> um, I had the most amazing Sid come through. Oh um, wow! She looked so much like Rachel Keller, 
And um, Sid's she, one of the characters on the show. For those who haven't seen it, she's the love interest. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so she came in in character. This she person. came in with gloves on. Nice, full dress. Mm-hmm. Like looked great. Looked so much like her as well. Like just yeah. facial features, everything else. Had just graduated high school. Um, she had waited. Because um, there was a way to sign in for it, but there right. was also a waiting line. She had waited the day before, didn't get in, mm. which is heartbreaking. Came back on the and next day. And then came back on the next day and still wasn't going to make it in. Ugh. And I talked to the actors and got her in. She was the last person that went through. So Noah Hawley was the first person that went through, and she was the last person that went through. Oh, and she loved it. Like She had the best time, so much so that when we did a remount of the experience at Faust... Mm. Her and her family drove up and went to it again at Faust. Yeah, just so cool. That's yeah. fantastic. Yeah, just, you know, those are those are the reasons why we do this kind of stuff. You yeah. know, it's just like really, really fun stuff. But um, anyways, I don't remember where we were. We were, we were going into, well, we were in the casting process is where yes. we were. Yeah. Um, so, um, so you had, so you want, you want to know that little bit of nervous, uh, yep. that's what the casting director was yep. there to, to do. So I don't, I don't write these notes down by the way. This is the way my brain works. So. <laughs> so, so I kind of figured out like, okay, I need them to perform to me. Mm-hmm. I need to figure out like, you know, based on how they're acting, do I break eye contact a bunch? Do I stare into them? Mm-hmm. You know, like just trying to judge that. And then I got kind of narrowed down. And then I realized on the callbacks that I, I needed to see how they dealt with the space and unusual situations. Mm. And so um, I basically changed the entire setup of the callback to a totally different scene. Um, and I made them utilize the space. Mm. And I made them utilize it in a pretty ridiculous way. And they had to make sense of it. Yeah. And that was beyond enlightening to be honest with you it was this way of seeing how a great immersive actor can just adapt to this space is now something else and that's an interesting thing that i feel like um improv is really great at doing certain things like that but it's more situational and less location-based and there's something about people that actually have immersive experience that that location understanding is just fine tuned. Yeah, um, and, and that's fascinating. Yeah, there's some like I mean, some of my favorite stuff. And maybe this explains why I like immersive so much. Some of my favorite stuff when I was doing improv in high school, and we would like drill every morning because we were crazy. Um, was space space work, space object work, yeah. right? And like, and and really getting into making it consistent like not just like oh i'm indicating so many improvisers you even go down to like i mean you see a lot of like you know a ucb show if they're if they're young enough yeah you know like they'll indicate interactivity they'll indicate the space that they're in but they won't really like lovingly like exist in in a fake space yeah and there's for me there's really been a great joy either in being or in watching a performer be in an imaginary space and really like the thing where like they establish an imaginary you know table and <laughs> yeah. like they'll walk around the imaginary table yeah. like to the just, point like, that you believe it right you know and, and it's crazy. Um, I, it, it's funny it reminds me of something that's from traditional media that i just saw and did you see have you watched atlanta Oh yeah so when the guy has the invisible car and like <laughs> 
holy crap like they sold that so well to the point where you're like oh yeah that's just a guy pretending to have an invisible car yeah and then they have that event go on at the end of the night where like you know somebody fires some rounds yeah and then all of a sudden you see this guy in what looks like wonder woman's invisible plane yeah. go by and it's just like taking out people but it's like an invisible car just mowing down people it, holy fuck that's just like sheer brilliance yeah. man like that's it's so good no like that there's there's <laughs> there's there's some there's something it's to, the buy-in yeah it's the buy-in yeah it's the buy-in it's it's yeah. it's the it's that it's almost like pure suspension of disbelief it's like it's a testament to the power of suspension of disbelief. i'm glad you brought up suspension of disbelief because it's what i was thinking as you were talking earlier and then i forgot to bring it up so i'm, I'm really happy you brought that up because that's that's where the actors that i think you and i are both friends with and fans of um that's what they do, you mm-hmm. know? And when they do it, you do it. You know? like That's what it is. You're sold. That's what and, it is. And it's like, I'm not, I'll, be, I'll be perfectly honest, I'm not smart enough to do that. But they'll do it, it's... and then I will do it with them. And that's that thing mm. where you can make anything real. And that's what they do for us. That's, that's why, like, you know, people... One of my favorite things about, say, The Empire Strikes Back is Mark Hamill's performance because he's just, he's working against a puppet. He's working against two puppets and he can't hear a goddamn thing that's going on. Yeah. And he's selling every moment of it, right? Yeah. You know, like the the brilliance of that performance. And you just, it doesn't read like anything. It's not flashy in the least. And right. like every actor who's had to work in front of a green screen and talk to a tennis ball who really sells it. Uh, and sells it in this like in a gentle, authentic way. Like, ugh. yeah, I want to see Daniel Day Lewis do that. You know? <laughs> well, actually, re- no, I, I he's li- retiring. I, so. I, I literally, I, no, but I, I actually want to see Daniel Day Lewis. <laughs> yeah. So you know, the Phantom Menace threat. Yeah, so, nice. <laughs> cheap joke that. Um, we're we're coming into the home stretch here. Yeah, and we've only gotten back to this is this is this is one of the episodes for the ages. We'll have to do this again. Um, so you 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 found you had to have them. We, we've talked about the acting thing. Let's let's, let's yeah. move past it. There, yeah. I had I had two. There was something you said before we started that that I hope we can lock into. Yeah. But and I wanted to talk about convergence of, of tech and performance. Well, yeah. Going forward, what you're looking at right now. Yeah. And 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 we're not going to talk in detail about the project you're working on, but you, you did say we could say that continuing down this line of merging merging technology and those techniques and motion capture techniques and live. Yeah. Like, what's the appeal as a creator of that? And what's your hope for it? Absolutely. So, I mean, we were just talking about the power of, of these actors to take us places. And what if we could make those actors someone else or something else at the same time? And that's where we get into things like we've got some great LBE things going on, location-based entertainment things going on with um, The Void, with Dreamscape, and then more on the indie side with, or festival side, I should say, with um, Alice, a a virtual play. Mm. Have you done that one? No, I haven't done that one. Oh, man. Um, And then we've got Draw Me Close, which was also done that way. So, by the way, uh, what I'm trying to say is that you've got these VR experiences with 
real actors there with the person who's in a headset while you've got the actor in a motion capture suit. Yeah. And you can make that actor be someone or something else. And the transport of power of something like that takes us to a whole nother place. Yeah. And yeah, there are tech limitations galore here. But this actually leads back to the earlier conversation we were having of if you make that story strong, we'll all be fine with those tech limitations. Well, there's also, I mean, I can think of like going through the void and for instance and having a reaction to something and dreaming that we were in sort of a Neil Stevenson reactive type scenario where K2SO or or if it's not Star Wars, some other character has an authentic reaction to what I do. Yeah. Right? This idea of like and 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 how surprising that would be. And I know there are people who approach it from like an AI perspective of like, well, can we program the ultimate like storytelling machine that can anticipate every single maneuver? Yeah. And I'm like, well, could we just pay someone to be there and do that? You know, <laughs> like, why do we have to make right. it a robot? Like, right. can we just pay someone a living wage right. to like give the performance? And and maybe, you know, take us somewhere. I mean, it, that's the thing. An actor knows where the, the, what, what to do next, how to bring it back, how to bring people back to the story. Absolutely. And and what you're hitting on is something that people, especially in my industry of, of VR and things like that, we're so obsessed with this term AI right, right now, artificial intelligence. And people just like, they expect a computer to be able to respond to you in insanely ridiculous ways. And that's why on Legion, we created what we called the state machine, which was a tab where the actor was actually pressing buttons that affected what happened in the HoloLens for you. Yeah. And it not only was affecting that, it was changing the lighting in the room. Mm. It was changing sound that was happening in a speaker. And so you were buying into it through and through because it was affecting your entire world. Yeah. But what we're talking about there is an actor making a judgment call. Past all the tech, forget all the tech, that's an actor making a call. Yeah. And that will that human to human interaction i'm not saying we'll never get past that like that we won't have ai that can do that but if i can use a human to do it today you bet your ass i'm gonna do it yeah and that's what i love i love working with with people to make them make a call on how to affect you i mean maybe one day we'll have ais that have a kind of an emotional bond with people or have a relationship to to the people that are playing with them sure but I think it'll happen. Yeah, yeah. but I mean, and but at the same time, like, will oh, people do that already? You know, and right. like, it's just—I mean—and if you even think to go back to Star Trek for a second, and like the holodeck, which is what everyone's trying to build, right? I mean, yeah, the computer did a lot of stuff, but also, you know, original Barkley like spent a lot of time programming scenarios, and like, yeah. I'm sure that a, a favorite pastime on that ship was like, I built a new thing for you, or yeah. or you look at people who you know customize their their. Their video game scenarios, like modders, yeah. you know, we're always going to have, we're always going to have modders. Well, we're what's so funny is we're talking like to sum up a few things. We're talking about a 16 year career that I've had that has led me to my love of the live actor. <laughs> <laughs> that's really what we're talking about. Yeah. You know, and, and, and that, I think that's beautiful. Yeah. Like that, that's that where visual... I have found. Yeah. What I needed. Yeah. That a visual, that someone whose career started heavily in visual effects, like led them to the live actor and the live performance. Right. And that's, that's the process that we're in right now. And that's this first conversation 
that Justin and I are having on the microphone. We'll have another one hopefully soon because this is super enjoyable. And next time I'll have some of the bullets. We'll do an after dark. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> there's actually, I, actually, I got to get to a show. So awesome. We got we to gotta call it. Awesome. Which is unfortunate because we could do this for another hour. Uh, thank you so much, Noah. No, Justin, thank you. Once again, I want to thank our guest Justin Denton of Here Be Dragons for being on the show today. Hey, um, that's uh, this this one. Uh, we're like an hour and twenty three minutes here of of your weekend spent with us. So let's get you on the road really quickly. Uh, just just a couple of quick more notes. Uh, do go to the website nopersinium.com. Everything immersive this week will be dropping uh, today. Uh, we've got new issues, I believe, of New York and LA should be hitting. Of course, North America hits next week. Uh, there's so much going on. I'm having difficulty tracking it. Um, we've got um, oh gosh, here's something uh, to know about. Uh, Bitter at the end. Uh, they they. It's not all bad news in that there's a recovery, but they lost their venue for the second weekend. Nike came along and bought it out. Uh, so I have to take the whole show down and put it back up afterwards. So uh, that's a bit of a bummer and people are, tickets are being moved. So if you, you should have got an email if you bought tickets. Uh, on the other hand, if you couldn't make that second weekend and you were thinking about it, hey, now, uh, now, it's, now the second week is going to happen later. Um, there's a whole thing to go into there. Uh, I reviewed uh, Candytopia this week. Uh, we're going to have a review out of London, uh, from, uh, Shelly Snyder about, uh, the pendulum, uh, which was a hybrid VR live experience piece, uh, which, uh, she, she reviewed for us. Um, there's, there's just a ton. There's a ton coming down. There's so much going to come out of South by Southwest and we're, it's blah, blah, we're firing all cylinders here. My brain isn't. I need more coffee. Um, and, and, and it's working the coffee, but I need more of it. All right, let's get you home. We got two more things to do. You know what they are. The sustaining backers for no percent. Wait, yeah, let's do it first. The sustaining backers for No Persinium are Ross Sigworth, Bradley Smith, Jan Budman, Arthur Tubman, Ari Hurstan, and Lonnie Hanson. Uh, if you want to reach us, uh, you can always find us at No Persinium on Twitter. I'm at Noah J. Nelson. You can email me, Noah, at NoPersinium.com. If you are pitching a show, it is pitches at NoPersinium.com. The Patreon is at patreon.com slash nopersinium. On Facebook, we're nopersinium. On Instagram, which you really want to follow right now, it's no underscore persinium. So the underscore there. I think I did that because there's no, I can't remember why I did that. Honestly, I can't. Maybe I'll change it. It's just hard to read sometimes. Um, the music for this and every episode is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. I did almost all of that backwards in a totally random order. It tells you where my brain's at. Until next time. I'll see you at the show.